some Holy Ghost could somehow sustain me. Hey everybody, it's been a while. Uh, this is Evan Maines. Uh, we published an episode a long time ago, and I guess what I'm proving is that, you know, I have a hard time staying committed to the things I say I'm going to do, but we are back. Um, I'm wanting to produce new episodes. I'm wanting to re-up in my commitment to making content through the podcast medium, but I, I figured it'd be good to do a kind of self-tape, a self-episode, just to tell you guys where I've been and what I've been up to, and hopefully encourage you to maybe be a part of our journey here and you know, be a part of what the vision of this podcast is. Uh, last time I put out an episode, it was myself sitting down with my friend Johnny Jackson. We were talking about when I got let go from my job that I held with a church, a mega church based in Cincinnati. A lot of you listened to that episode and you guys really enjoyed it. You gave me a lot of feedback. And the thing that was really helpful is that my story and, and my sit down with my friend Johnny was super beneficial for you all. So thank you guys for listening to that episode. It's called No Hard Feelings. It's the first episode. And we put it out in December of last year. So here we are in October of 2023. And we are here uh, wanting to sit down with more people, wanting to produce more content, making something that can be shared by many, something where we can tell stories, we can be vulnerable, uh, and we can be intentional with one another. Um, I'm going to have a lot of good friends of mine joining me for this round. I'll also be having a hand in different podcast productions and telling you all what has been um, what's been happening. I think it's worth mentioning that something that I've been infatuated with recently is the idea of ubiquitous assimilation. It comes from a movie called Detachment starring Adrian Brody. It's directed by the same guy who directed American History X, Tony Kay, and in this movie Detachment, he plays this like really depressed substitute teacher who's coming to do kind of a long-term teaching assignment at an inner city school that is failing. And so I'm going to play that clip for you now. What does that mean? To take something in. Okay, excellent. To absorb. Anyone? <laughs> Everywhere, all the time. So what is ubiquitous assimilation? Always absorbing everything everywhere all the time. Well done, George. How are you to imagine anything if the images are always provided for you? That movie really awakened something inside of me as also someone who works with students and has encountered a lot of different students over the few years that I've been, you know, eight to nine years now working with students through ministry. I've been really inundated with this idea of everything, everywhere, all at once. So I wanted to read, this is actually a piece that I wrote. And I wanted to read because I think it explains where I've been this past year and what I've been up to. So this is a piece that I wrote called Everything at Once. And hopefully it'll explain a few things and give some storytelling to this podcast.
There's a bottle of gel-filled Advil capsules that accidentally opens in my bag. The bottom of my everyday carry backpack is now populated with 50 or so blue headache pills. And for the life of me, I can't seem to take the time to empty out my backpack to retrieve the little medications from the pits of my 30-gallon pack. So they'll sit, waiting for their rescue, only to be discarded in the trash. In my wallowing and in my laziness, a small bottle of Pepto-Bismol also opens. Convenient. It covers all of my stuff in pink goo. Something I have to tell myself is that depression is not an excuse, nor is it a destination. It's a delicate balancing act of yielding and taking action. Depression isn't who I am, but it can certainly dictate how I feel or interact with the world around me. Robin Pecknold of the band Fleet Fox is once saying, Though I like summer light on you, if we ride a winter long wind, well, time's not what I belong to, and you're not the season you're in. The struggle cannot be contained by time, but the feeling doesn't have to dictate how we view ourselves, let alone the time or space we occupy. Yet, it's a struggle nonetheless. Some days it's a dull ache. Other times it's a fight to find the value for this life. In all my time I spend worrying, it makes me wonder about all the time I spend wasting, not living a life that is fulfilling or in a constant state of production. In the Western culture, we are infatuated with the constant state of production. Not so much the creation of such things that would be considered beautiful or resourceful, but simply punching the time card so we can feel like we made our way through a chore list of things that help us feel worthy. Regardless, we all want to feel like we have earned something at the end of the day. I'd like to make the thesis that we are all subjected and groomed to adopt a guilty mindset. A feeling of, I am perpetually undeserving of the things I have, the people I am given, and the life I lead. That feeling is only stoked by the influence of technology and the consumption of human projection this world over. In 2022, I visited a densely populated, impoverished slum neighborhood in Nairobi, Kenya. I only describe it as a slum because that might help paint a picture for you, the reader, as to the living conditions that these people faced. In the setting, of course, we avoided the word slum because we didn't want to be offensive as referring to someone's home as a slum. To further describe it, imagine a studio apartment and then split that area into four spaces that would give you the approximate size of these homes. Inside these homes, imagine all of your family living in that space with little to no privacy. Take the entire population of a small city, estimated one to two million individuals, and put them in an area no bigger than the average American subdivision. There are alleyways that stretch several miles of these small housing units that housed thousands of people. Some of these places had electricity, but it was only uh, obtained through illegal means, but most did not. Sewage and waste fill these hand-dug trenches that run the length of the city. There is a woman who makes quick to say hello to us American strangers. Many of these women welcomed us into their homes and shared their stories. But what I found peculiar was the group of men that scattered about the village. They were avoidant. 
and slightly striking a pose of standoff against us Americans. I guess I could understand. The perception of first world American whites touring your deplorable quote-unquote living conditions might prompt feelings of strain or annoyance. However, a woman explained that these men were simply ashamed. Ashamed, I asked. Yes, they are ashamed, the woman replied. She continued, these men are out of work, some of them are injured, and some are addicted to substances or drinking. I look back at some of these men. One begins to approach me. I stand neutral, still facing the woman talking to me. They spend their days gambling and looking for work, she says. A younger man approaches me, which prompts other men to approach myself and my crew. This younger man is shorter than me. He's wearing a Lionel Messi jersey and sandals. He holds up his wrist. Look, he says. He is wearing a fake Rolex Submariner, or at least what I can only uh, surmise as a fake Rolex Submariner. I laugh to myself, but the man remains stern in his approach towards me. He possesses an unwavering amount of I have something that you don't. What was most sad to me was my unwavering feeling of simply not caring. I felt extremely welcome in this village, but I hated the perception that the men outside their homes needed to prove something to us, that is, they needed to grandstand for us, that is, if our acceptance of them was based on a transaction of showing they earned what they had. Before we could make connection, our time was up and we had to leave the villages. In my life, I get a little nervous when things are going well. 2018 was the last time I had been in consistent counseling. I grew up in counseling, seeing a counselor several times throughout my life. The first I remember being in fourth grade, seeing a counselor. I remember telling my friends why I was visiting a doctor at maybe 4 p.m. on a Tuesday night. They, my friends would simply ask, what do you do at the counselor? And I would respond, well, sometimes I draw pictures and other times my mom cries. Here I am, five years later from 2018, and it has struck me how many things have occurred in my life that are probably worth a deeper look. 22-year-old Evan was simply a different person as compared to 27-year-old Evan. In the last five years, I've experienced great joys and great depths of sadness. I have changed jobs. I have moved back home. I got fired, as you may have known. I got COVID twice, maybe three times. I'm not really sure. I have traveled to beautiful places such as Kenya and Mexico. I've gotten to go out west to California and Arizona and all these other places. And I have found how to struggle well in isolation. I have made friends and I have lost friends. And I have watched loved ones pass and grow old. Simply put, things have changed. In the Bible, Paul writes, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We find this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. To me, what roots me in time are my attempts to follow Christ well. For myself, but also for others. From what I understand, the longer I commit myself to this followership of Christ, I should absorb it more, not just regurgitate the answers or the movements, but become a representative of Christ. The longer I engage in this, it will uproot parts of my character that are simply non-resourceful in my efforts. 
However, what can derail my efforts are my obsessions with manufacturing a sense of busyness in my life. I love showing people that I'm making something with myself and that is only possible through Christ. My therapist in 2018 was an older man named Don Sizemore. He had an office near New Circle Road in Lexington, Kentucky. Don was a kind and gentle man, very easy to talk to, and we both shared an affinity for all things folk and Americana. His office was in the corner of a small and older business building, illuminated by small lamps, a candle that smelled of autumn, and the cologne of Don himself. We met a handful of times, maybe four or five times, as that's what the church I worked for would pay for me to see him, qualitative over quantitative, I assumed. Our sessions would be focused on life stage coping, and our conversations were blurred by the hum of a white noise machine so other clients couldn't hear us pondering from the waiting room. Don had a slight stutter when he spoke, which made it difficult for me to focus at times, but he was a genuine man of God, and I deeply respected that. My anxiety and depression were hitting new levels. I was in the new age gap of what it meant to be a young 20-something, exiting my teens and now yielding to the new responsibilities of being an adult. All of my dreams were not coming true, so I wanted to know what it meant to at least have some direction and purpose with this new season of life. Don turned me on to Father Richard Rohr, which was a controversial person to entangle myself with inside of the Protestant church. A Franciscan Catholic priest who often discussed universalism and leaned away from certain traditional views on Christ and railed against the inherent truths of the Bible, or the literal nature that many Christians ascribe the Bible to. His controversial nature oftentimes put him in a category of heresy with most of the Western church, but he became crucial to many in the deconstruction movement. Deconstruction is a scary word in the Western church. Deconstruction for many on both sides of faith can be misconstrued as a full disowning and walking away of their belief in God and or Christ altogether. But what I found was an essential process of being able to step back from my beliefs and understand what it was that I was actually following and why I was following them. Let alone calling myself a follower of Christ, let alone spending most of my young life following in Christianity. I needed to see that my mountain of faith that I had built from all angles and make a crucial decision. Is this worth doing? These questions on a high level of existential thinking and spiritual understanding were lofty and oftentimes felt discouraging. For a while, it felt like I was going to disappoint all the people I was leading. I felt that in all of this was the feeling of being bastardized. What I dealt with deeply was the push-pull of relationships in my life and the relationship I had with Christ himself. Maybe you can relate to this. I pull people in too close, and they will see my brokenness and my depressions and anxieties, and they will flee. I push people too far away, and they will soon be out of my grasp and will not come back. These feelings were on a pendulum. They waxed and waned from season to season. Sometimes it was a desperate attempt to isolate. Then it was followed by a month or two of making everyone the focus of my affection and care. I was exhausting. And I was exhausted. It pushed me into a dark place and made me feel unworthy of relationship altogether, let alone any attempt to date or be exclusive with someone. Don helped me process this. And one day he introduced me to this quote from Richard Rohr that came from an email list that he would send daily writings through. 
In this specific quote, he reflects on the struggles and suffering that David from the Bible had endured and how it ultimately yielded one of God's most faithful followers. Rohr says this, Love protects us from nothing, even as it unexplainably sustains us in all things. Access to this love is not limited by our finite ideas of what it is or what it should be. Rather, this love overwhelms our abilities to comprehend it as it so unexplainably sustains us and continues to draw us to itself in all that life may send our way. This helped reshape my view of God and my understanding of the gift that it is to struggle and struggle well. To comprehend and accept that there is a joy that exists in sorrow, a being a figure of endurance and fuller accepting of the things I cannot control. Five years later, I am still following Christ, and I am still working for the church. My life has grown in value, but so has my ability to cope with my anxiety and depression and being okay with my unknown uncertainty. One of the things I am learning to let go of is the fact that God may never cure me of my mental illness. With some harshness, I swallow this pill of potential reality. The hope of this can sometimes feel like a home. I look at it in my rearview mirror of my life. It grows smaller and dimmer as I pull away down the road of my own chronological timeline. The older I get, I have accepted the fact that I have no longer want to approach God with the expectation that I should be cured or absolved from my personal suffering. Yet, I look towards the longing gaze of God, knowing that I am seen through my wailing and through my crawling and through the seasons of the dull ache that life can offer. What I have learned is to not always be so quick to give an unseen enemy or Satan himself too much credit. Call this an ignorant move, but I truly have seen God use a perceived, quote-unquote, attack from the enemy from an eventual and beautiful, quote-unquote, good. Someone's worst experience can still grow flowers. When I was younger, a really strong and powerful storm blew through our neighborhood. It claimed many of the big maples in its wake. Some of these trees were fairly old and gave our neighborhood such beauty and invitation. One of these maple trees lived in our front yard. After the storm cleared and all safety was called, my dad went to work dispatching the now dead tree that lay in cover our front yard. He began chainsawing the branches into smaller, more manageable segments for disposal and removing the stump from the ground. In his desperation, he took one of the puny twigs from the tree and commonly stuck it into the ground where it once contained the original tree. Today, nearly 14 days later, a new full tree stands in its place. This is how I view our tragedy in life, how we can use the fragments of what once was to grow beauty and newness in life. I think of the women who lose children in miscarriages and are now mother to several healthy children. The legacy of what was lost gives greater appreciation to what is had and given later in our lives. So I'm back in therapy. This concept of ubiquitous assimilation, the idea of the ubiquitous being present and appearing are found everywhere, or in the assimilation of the process of trying to absorb and take everything in. You put these things together, you get everything everywhere all at once. I look at the world I've been brought up in. I am almost two years from my 30th birthday, 
and for the first time in my life, I'm seeing my existence from a real 30,000-foot view. As if I've put everything I've done and, and people I have, been, uh, I have been, identities that I've been, I put all those things on the table to observe all of my failures and losses, all of my wins and successes, the big stuff, the little stuff, little embarrassments like the time I kissed my crush on the forehead after a first date out of nervousness or the time that I won a state-level photography contest in third grade for a portrait of my sister holding an American flag after 9-11. It's all kind of haunting and a little bit liminal. It's familiar. It's like visiting a house you used to live in, but the furniture is different, the paint is updated, and the faces have changed. The carpet is gone, and now it's replaced with laminate wood floors. God fills my eyes with all the vessels I tried on before being more at home with the longing spirit I contain. Growing up in a digital age, I was given access to all things, yet I possess none of the knowledge to discern the context of what was being presented to me, let alone the understanding of how not to absorb all of these things. We were inundated with the window into other people's lives through MySpace and Facebook. We obsessed with the objectification of the world through graphic and blunt depictions of sex or false sex through pornography, or violence through the streaming of mass shootings televised wars and polished productions of ISIS beheadings of American journalists. All of this was a result in the projection of our false self to lay in our premature deathbed at night and wonder, are they ashamed of me? Working with students now, it's not going anywhere. That feeling, that, that pressure, that intensity. Hence the need to be steadfast and a God of patience and empathy, but a king of might and all-knowing. In all of this, it has struck me in this new season to resync intentional therapy and counseling. Today, I meet with a guy named Nick. It's the first counseling I have done since 2018. A lot has happened in the five years, like I've mentioned. A lot in the terms that I should probably see someone who I can intentionally dive into the meaning of these things, big and sometimes troubling events. But I trust that new trauma presents new joys. It might just take some excavation to absorb this. Intentional counseling can help us break away from the ubiquitous assimilation I think of. It allows the voice of God to become a little more present in our lives while the volume on everything else can be turned down. Nick and I meet over Zoom video meetings. He is a kind guy, maybe only slightly older than me. He wears glasses, typically wears some kind of athletic shirt or a golf shirt, and his uh, room is a library with the window nearby, and when it's sunny, the sun shines on him. He asks me, do you think you're a bad person? What comes to mind is the Bible verse. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul writes this in Romans 17.8. Paul, a man who had his own personal encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, also wrestled with his own morality. And he knew the only thing that he possessed that was considered good was the good that Christ omitted through him over and over again. My plight is to not be overtly concerned with good or bad, for I'm confident that we all exist somewhere in the middle, capable of both good and bad, incapable of only exclusively doing one or the other. The fault or baseline of sin and the redemption offered through Christ of good. What I struggle with is enough or emptiness, the spectrum falling extremely on left or right. 
what it means to be fulfilled or content with what I have or who I am not, what I am not, or what things I do not own or possess. To my core, my core sin is envy. To live a life looking at others who seem to have more, be more, and become more. Resourcefulness for us looks like abandoning uh, a life of complication that is set out for us and finding ways, checkpoints in life to find God along the way. Like a stranger on the side of the road, like a hitchhiker. To not be so self-sabotaging in our attempts to be absorbing learners and not quick forgetters of the truth and love that Christ offers us. I haven't any idea if this will help you. But to live a hollow acceptance is simply a banquet in the grave that is referred in Proverbs 9, 15 through 18. Calling to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in there. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Shalom and take care, Christ is near. Listen, my goal here is to not preach. My goal here is to not even be an advice column or, or anything like that. My goal is to create space. That's the best I can do. I, I don't even have the qualifications to counsel or to really give advice. But my hope is that by being vulnerable, by sharing a bit of my story, it might help others do so. And so that is the goal. We'll be working on more episodes here of The Road Back. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, Stay tuned. If we Oh uh-huh.